Welcome to the Dockhouse Rugby Show special. Today, we've got a former rugby league referee of over 20 years. This man has refereed over 400 games, including 300 in Super League. He's also video refereed two Challenge Cups and four national finals. He was one of the first men to go professional or full-time as a referee. It's our guest today. It's Mr. Ian Smith. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for the introduction. That's yeah. all right. Thanks Welcome for coming in. on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, God, just shot 300 in Super League. It just, uh, time absolutely flew. And uh, yeah, now I work for State of Mind Mental Health Charities. So uh, yeah, looking forward to this next uh, hour or so. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, let's let's go go straight back to it then. How did you initially get into it all then, Ian? Um I come from a rugby league family, you know, my dad played for Huddersfield back in the 50s and Salford and broke his his leg and uh, and never really recovered. So I used, my dad used to take me up to Watershed in uh, Oldham Rugby from being a little kid and, you know, we never paid because he would always lift me over the turnstile. I would just drop a little kid over the turnstile, never paid. Got a bit embarrassing when I was 21 though, you know. <laughs> so, so, yeah, just just rugby league family Brilliant. and I played amateur rugby league a club called Salem Hornets in Oldham played in Northwest County Penang League but oh god I was rubbish I weren't big enough hard enough <laughs> fast enough strong enough uh, and then I had a really nasty rib injury and I we were amateur at the time so you you, you had time off you, you know you didn't get paid yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so I just thought you know something I'm going to take up refereeing and it's you know it's one of them where you just feel like you click a switch and oh my god I love this. This is for me, uh, and it just it works for you. Just snowballed from there, really. Yeah. So it still kept you in the sport, the sport that you love, but obviously you wasn't getting injured every week and clanged. No, absolutely. You know, it would under fourteens in nineteen ninety six. My God, twenty five <laughs> years ago was that? I know. Tell me about and, it. And uh, and it just took off from there. I think there was a niche in the market for a new referee. I think some of the the established Super League refs and the Grade Ones at the time. They've been around for a while, mm -hmm. uh, and I think they just needed somebody. And Greg McCallum, who, who was head of the refs at the time, he just spotted some skill set I obviously had, and uh, and I just came straight through to Super League pretty quick. To be fair, you really? know, within yeah, within a couple of years, just a uh, couple of years. Yeah, I was a grade, grade one referee within twenty one months and got in Super League just over the two year mark. So uh, yeah, I think it's just one of them where you think I can do this, you know. It do you think your early memories then, you spoke about going, watching rugby at the watershed, in, that, that understanding of watching the game and, and your amateur career, playing rugby as an amateur, do you think that helped you when you first started refereeing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because, it, you know, it, it's, it's in my DNA, yeah. you know, and because I love the game, I'm a connoisseur of the game, I love watching it, I love participating in it and everything. So it, it, it wasn't a chore going watching a game. It wasn't a chore studying the rules. It wasn't a chore going through countless videos and countless clips to try to improve myself because, you, you know, it. It, yeah, not only was it my hobby, it eventually became a full-time job. Well, if, if, if any of us can say that our hobby is our, is our employment, then you're a very, very lucky person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Did you ever ref back at the watersheddings? No, God, no. It, it was an housing estate long before I started refereeing. That was a loaded question because Dave used to play for all of them. I think he was getting a bit twitchy then, too. Yeah. Yeah. No. It was a try. It was definitely a try. I thought it was you who disallowed it. <laughs> no, no, unfortunately. I've held on to that for 30 years. I wanted to bring it up. <laughs> so, stepping forward then, um, you know, you've, you've jumped there in, into Super League. Is that when it became full-time? 
at, at that point then? No, no, no. We didn't become full time till 2006. December 2006, ready for the 2007 season. So I've been in Super League since 99. So I'd already, I'd already done best part of 150, 160 Super League games. Right. Um, and I think what it was, all the players were full time in Super League at the time. All the admin staff, all the coaches, all the physios, the whole Super League ensemble was all full time. The only people that weren't full time were the referees. So we'd go out to work, uh, do a normal day. At four o'clock, I'd be, I'd have my my kit bag in the boot of my car, and I'd be zooming off to a Super League game. You know, after having the fatigue and the stress of, of whatever Whoa. job I was doing at the time. And then you rock up and you throw your kit on. That's not preparation. No. That's not nutritional. That's not hydration. That's not physical, mental, whatever you want to say. And you rock up and then they wonder why you make a mistake. Well, of course, because you've had all week to prepare for this 80 minutes. I've had yeah. literally last three hours. Your mind's still on the job you were doing a couple Absolutely, of hours earlier. Yeah, I was, I, at the time, uh, I, I was a learning mentor in, in a secondary school. So you had all sorts of grooming yeah. issues and, yeah. and fighting and racial stuff and all yeah. this. Stuff. And then, you you know, you've got that, Wigan that, Saints. That's, you've that's got just Wigan the game. Saints, <laughs> and then yeah. you've got Wigan Saints on a Friday, on a Friday night after work. You yeah. know, it just... That's a lot of mental fatigue. Maybe not as much physical, but a, a lot of mental fatigue that you're taking into that match. You've just been dealing with that. An hour later, you're running out onto a pitch trying to control yeah. a bunch of guys yeah. playing a full-time sport. But it, it, there was also the, the physical the fatigue as well because you worked all day. So then my training sessions was half six till eight yeah. o'clock at night. So then you yeah. weren't getting home until nine o'clock. Then you was you're trying to find a bit Recovery. of snap to do. You're trying to recover, you know. And then all of a sudden, when we became full-time, we trained during the day, in the morning. We'd have two or three massages a week. We did absolutely everything. We had nutritionists, we had physios, we had conditioners. So all of a sudden, you know, you had to step up your game because this was now your full-time environment. Yeah. It was wonderful. Oh, my was God. I literally couldn't wait to go to bed at night to get up and go to work in the morning. And that's how lucky and privileged that big a I difference. felt. Absolutely. Yeah, that's how it felt to me. So so you described quite a few differences there with the full-time environment. Just talk. A little bit more about that. I'm interested to, you know, one day you're part-time, you're going to work. You know, there's a change of contract. A year after, you're now all full-time. What are the major differences and how did that impact your experience as a referee? Um, we had a full pre-season. So even though we started in December, well, uh, full enough, I was 40 on December the 7th. And we started uh, on December the 8th full-time. So uh, we had a full pre-season to get our fitness levels up. So we had a full-time conditioner and we would do hill sprints, we'd do track sessions, we'd do the nutritional side of it. We had new rules brought in because we tend to change the rules <laughs> <Very often. laughs> on, on quite regular basis. And then, um, but a lot of it was about physicality. We went to Perpignan, we went to South of France for a, a warm weather. Uh, warm weather training. Warm weather training. Absolutely freezing. Oh my <laughs> God. Perpignan. Well, you're, you're yeah, at Perpignan, at Perpignan, yeah, yeah, yeah. beautiful. But my God, it was cold. So we did all these and we had to do naked swimming, Mediterranean, well, Mediterranean really? in the middle of December, it's cold, you know. <laughs> but it was great, you know. And yeah. also because even though all the other referees, we because we we refereed individually on different games, we only came together once a week for training. So all of a sudden we roomed together, we trained together, you know, we pretty much lived together for, for that week's training, obviously then every single day we were in training so we got to know each other better we got to know the little idiosyncrasies little foibles the things that you might like about a person the things you might not like about a person and and who you gravitated towards who was more your personality so so that was 
difficult to be honest because there's only one grand final only one Champions cup final yeah and you all want them so is that helpful that peer support though having that peer support that did you have that before you when you were semi-professional um we had a coaching staff Stuart cummins headed up the coaching staff um but i think because you only got together once a week or sometimes three times a month yeah everybody wanted the coach's attention so even though you did your own personal review and you emailed it in and then you got some feedback because the amount of games and the amount of feedback that the coaches needed to give you're all getting snippets so when we did meet up at training you were all really vying for that little bit of attention yeah because it, it can be quite insecure you know you, you make your decision on a thursday sky game or a friday well they were friday and saturday then you know that has a massive consequence on your review on a monday and the appointments on a tuesday Right, so right. you're like, oh god, I, was that? Did that go forward? Did, was it a knock on? Oh, I hope, I hope that doesn't get picked you're, up. Your inner critique is you, kicking you, off. Your inner critiquing already, and you that inner critique doesn't kick off and then till till Tuesday when you get your next appointment, and that appointment, my, oh, thank God for that. I've got a, I'm in Super League this week, so they must have picked it up. So sometimes you you were hoping that the the one camera angle would not pick up a mistake, yeah. and, you, and you get the review and you think. They won't know. So, <laughs> they won't know. That's a knockoff. So that selection process there that you're saying, uh, if that went against you, what what would you end up? Would you like Super League one day and then you know, championship? championship yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. So especially in the early days, because <coughs> yeah, excuse me. Especially in the early days, because like I mentioned just off off camera before, we, there were some fantastic referees. There was some unbelievably elite Super League refs, and also the Championship part time refs. Well, they were all part time at that time. But even the grade one who did the, the championship and the league one, you know, they could jump up into Super League. So you just oh, you couldn't wait for your appointment to cut. Oh, thank God for that. I'm still in Super League. Mm. Uh, but yeah, you, you know, you'd and if you if you made such a massive mistake and you were in championship, you could end up being there for three or four or five weeks. Right. Yeah. And and that emotional, you know, because yeah. that, again, that inner critique, and, oh, why did I make that mistake? You know, I thought I was in a good position, you know. And, you beat and yourself it, up. You beat yourself up, yeah. So does it, does it feel a bit like Monopoly? It's like, go to jail, do not pass go. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, yeah sometimes. And, and, you know, my girlfriend, bless her, she would, uh, she'd know, as soon as I walked in the door, she'd know what sort of a game I'd had. Right. Whether we were on Sky. <laughs> well, she never watched me over on Sky anyway. She never came to any games. She kept, well, I'm lying there. She came to two and I got that much abuse. She didn't want she to said, see I'm, it. She said, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm yeah. never coming again. Yeah, right. it yeah. was like so she's it's, not, it's not for when some, somebody who loves you is it to be a referee. Yeah, yeah. so to so all you know, if I made a mistake on Friday night, our weekend were written off. You know, she'd yeah. say, "Should we go out Saturday?" Don't feel like you were it. down. Don't it, feel like yeah. it. Down, and it, you know, and you know, she stuck with with that. Uh, and then when you retire, you just realise just how much that twenty four seven has an impact on people around other you. Other people, yeah. You know? And uh, I think if I were to have it again, I'd. I'd, I'd enjoy them now. I think I'd really enjoy each week and, and understand that as human beings, we will make mistakes. Referees will make mistakes. Players make mistakes. And there's something I might talk about later on about the difference in a player making a mistake and a referee making a mistake yeah. and, and talking about the being dropped and not being dropped. <laughs> but, you know, it's a mistake environment. A referee will make 25,000 judgments in 80 minutes. Yeah. I'll, I, we have GPS and I would run 11 kilometres in 80 minutes. Yeah. You're going to get you some know, wrong. My yeah. average heart rate was 155 beats per minute for wow. 80 minutes. That's average. It would max out 178. I'd even kick the game off 134. Blimey. You know, my resting heart rate, because of the physical fitness we did, it was high 40s, low 50s. Yeah. So wow. when you've got three times the amount of adrenaline surging around your body, and in 79th minute, you miss a forward pass, yeah. which 
yeah. imagine who forward that leads to a match where you try and you've somebody feet up watching you at home on Sky uh, or on BBC yeah. or whatever and thinking, well, you absolute <laughs> so and so. Yeah. Yeah. They've watched it back three or four times. And, and, and you are the one to blame. Oh, absolutely. Well, you're not going to blame your heroes, are you? No. You, and, you know, and everybody watches it blinkered. Some yeah. are massively blinkered, but the only people on that field that have no vested interest on the outcome of the result is the match officials. Couldn't care less. People say, oh, you, you, you wanted Wigan to win, or you want I, I couldn't care less. Absolutely yeah. could not care less who won that game. That's interesting. You've made a number of really <coughs> interesting points I'd like to dig in with. Um, I think as a player, sometimes fans will say, oh, it's only friendly, so you're not giving your all. But I think when the player takes a field, in their mind, when the, that ball's kicked off, they don't know the difference between a friendly, a, a final, a semi-final, a regular round. You're playing rugby, your instinct kicks in. Is that similar with the referee then? You take the field, you don't see a Wigan top, a Leeds top, a Castleford top. You just see players and judgments. Yeah, you, well, you do. But ultimately, my performances would have more of an impact on on me. So I, I because I couldn't care less who won, you know, if I give a bad decision that meant that Castleford won, you know, it it wasn't that Castleford won. It was the fact that that would have, that decision would have an impact on my appointment the following week. Yeah, you know. So it, yeah. I don't want to say it was about me because it's not because that's what people say. It's about the ref. It's not. But the impact on on every decision would impact on me because of of the consequence of that next uh, appointment. And I don't think people or certainly fans will will see or understand that. I think we accept that players. Uh, play the game, they come off thinking, where did they go wrong? Uh, have I done enough to get me placed next week? No one thinks of the referee having that same inner turmoil or self-judgment and development points that, that players have. They just imagine it doesn't happen. They, they probably don't realise the emotional turmoil on the referee as well that, that they put themselves under and that the fans can, through the frustration, put the referee under. Um, and you've described that really well how how that works so how did you start to try and combat that or work with it uh, i don't think i ever combated it if i'm being honest i think uh if i'd have been as emotionally and mentally strong then as i am now i think i'd have had a totally different mindset i think i'd have understood and realized that uh it is a mistake game the amount of decisions that that you make in a game you're going to get some wrong uh and don't always listen to the critics that have no idea and no concept of what it's actually like yeah. to me in the middle. Because let's be right, if it was easy, everybody would do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, most definitely. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and, it, and it's not. I would be referee for a gold clock. It's no. not. No. 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 A few hundred quid maybe, but not a gold clock. <laughs> Who wants a gold clock? <laughs> Man, you did mention a couple of massages. So I'm thinking of... Yeah, uh, you yeah know. that'd yeah. be nice. <laughs> no, I take your point though. I mean, refereeing is, is a, a very isolated, I think, uh, uh, you're sort of out there on your own very often. I know you've got the touch judges and now there's a video referee, but you're still out there making the judgments in real time. And I'm sure that it must feel quite isolated at times. Absolutely. Uh, and also, when it, when a team play together, all the team want to win because the points get them to grand finals and the yeah. wins in knockouts get them to challenge cup finals, etc., etc. But... My decisions, there's only one grand final for the referee. There's only one Challenge Cup final. There's only yeah. one Four Nations. And uh, so even though you really, really try to create uh, a team culture and a team ethic, still only one grand final. Yeah. So there's still, of the six full-time referees, there was five of us was going to miss out on that grand final. Yeah. Five of us were going to miss out on that Challenge Cup final. Yeah. So there's jealousy, there's envy. 
there's a little bit of anger at times when you look at your appointments because but all those referees we all think we're a hell of a lot better than than we actually <laughs> probably are and i don't mean that detri detrimental yeah. but when the, the coaches see every game uh and and then they can compare like for like but as a referee again we're blinkered mm -hmm. so you know i think oh, that was a really poor mistake by the other referee. Why have they still got a game and I haven't? Right. But yeah. you, you've not really looked at it as constructively because we're human beings and that inner yeah. critique of ourselves yeah. and others kicks in. You, you make an initial judgment, but when you sit back and think about it, sometimes we see things differently, Absolutely. don't we? Yeah. Did, did you think it was quite a lonely job at times? Uh, yeah, very much so. Yeah. yeah. Um, probably more lonelier than, than I thought. Um, but some of that is only retrospective. You know, we talk about mental fitness, and obviously I work for Stay Mind Sport Mental Health Charity, so we go around and talk. And, and some of some of it, you know, like I spoke about the impact of making a bad decision on a Friday and how that would impact my social life, my family life. I think at the time, when you're in that goldfish bowl, you don't realise it's only after and it's gone and you just think, my God, was I that bad to live with? Was I that horrendous? And and it's all of the, the consequences after the event, you realise how much it had an impact. So at the time, you know, I was living the dream. Really was living the dream. A, a sport that I love, a job that I loved, you know, but I, I only seen when I to talk about some of the negatives about it, but it was a fantastic lifestyle. Yeah. But it's only retrospective. You realise just how much of an impact it does have on your loneliness and your vulnerabilities at times. Just touching on that then, did that ever spill over into your, like you say, your personal, your social life? If you was out and about and there's been a game at the weekend, was there any ever sort of like abuse towards you walking down the high street or? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah my girlfriend, she would say, yeah, somebody looking at you over there, <laughs> you know, so you won't get, and that's all, oh, you know, and some, they'd come over and say, Excuse me, do you mind me asking? Are you Ian Smith? Now, don't don't think that I'm famous by any stretch, but you know, the rugby goldfish yeah. ball is a goldfish yes, ball. Yes, it is, it is. Yeah. You're well so, known within that group. So, within we, that we, goldfish ball. We call ball. it a family, but sometimes yeah, it's a goldfish, it's a goldfish ball. ball. So, uh, they said, excuse me, do you mind me asking? Are you Ian Smith? And I'd say, it all depends who you support, you know. <laughs> and they'd say, oh, oh, I'm Huddersfield Giants. Oh, yeah, I am. And they said, no, no, I'm definitely not. All I've said, no, no, don't know. I've never heard of him, you know. So sometimes they break it down like that. But then you'd have others, and especially around game day, uh, especially if you were liking Perpignan. Because when you're in, when you're refereeing Catalan Dragons, which I did often, you know, you fly, you fly over with the team at the time, and you'd have supporters on, and then. The, the night before, you'd try and find a quiet restaurant to have a bite to eat to get ready, and then the night after, and, oh, God. You just couldn't get away from no, it. No, no, and, and you'd be, the day of the game, you'd try and go into the market and just have a drink and have a chill and just relax. You'd have people saying, Ian, can I take a picture with the old in me? Okay, Asha. And you said, no. <laughs> oh, don't be so miserable. No, because if, if when, yeah. when that gets out on yeah. social media, then yeah. I'm holding, yeah. I'm yeah. there smiling, holding an okay, Asha. Yeah. Do you not think that will come back okay, to bite me on the ass? You know, yeah. and I knew it. I knew we sported yeah. okay, And But then when you, you know, can I put, can I have a, yeah, I'll have a photograph taken with you, but I'm not putting your scarf, you know, yeah. I'm not putting your scarf around yeah, my neck. colours. Can't wear the colours. And, 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 and then you're trying to watch out your prep of his mate coming behind you. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, sometimes you had to avoid it then. But the vast majority, and the, the vast majority were fantastic. But like in every walk of life, you always get the small minority. And unfortunately, we listen to the small minority. Yeah. You know, yeah. We, give them, we give them credence, we give them airtime. 
you know, all the abuse that goes on, on on social media now, they do it because they want a reaction. If you don't react and they've, they've no audience... You don't feed that. Yeah. You don't feed that. They they won't react. You know, the, you know, with Prince Philip dying, you know, some of the horrendous messages, and they only put it, and then you see that there's about 100 people replied. But if they didn't get one reply for their it abusive... Would die out. It would die. Yeah. Yeah. That, that meme would go, that it, comment it, would go... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just so sad. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure with social media. It's changed, I think, how pressure is on on people in in life and and in positions. And maybe we'll touch upon that uh, a little bit later when we talk about the state of mind. But um, naturally flowing from that conversation, then, what do you remember about your earliest games as a professional referee? Um, first sort of half dozen games. How did they feel? How did they go? Well, I was in. I got in Super League in '99, and uh, I refereed Salford versus London Broncos down in in London. And uh, Martin Fire was on the wing. Sean Edwards was scrum half. And uh, and it season was season pros. Oh, it was wonderful. But my God, it was quick. Ah, oh, was it? Oh, you couldn't. You just couldn't realise that from Championship to Super League, the jump was just huge. Your speed of thought, your speed, you know. Sean Edwards was a legend anyway, you know, but he, he, he'd done something before you knew. You know, you look at all the great players, your Wally Lewis's, your Alan Langer's and your Andy Gregory's, and yeah. they're not particularly quick. They're not particularly fast physically, but the, the, the brain. The brain they're already ahead. through the gap before you know that they're through the gap. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and that, was, that was the thing that was really noticeable. I felt I was behind my decision because every time you blow the whistle, people look at you. So you've got to be quick, and uh, and that's why I think players transitioning from being a professional player to professional referee, to me, it's like speaking a different language, English and French. So so as a referee, it came into me the decision as English, and I would deliver it in English. But as a player, it comes in because the first their first train of thought is as a player. So it's almost like speaking a different language. Yeah. It comes in in French, and then I've got to translate yeah, it into English mean. and give it out. So yeah. as a player, they've got to see what it feels like as a player, then translate yeah. it into what it should be as a referee, because yeah. we're not always on the same page, you know, players and refs. I'm just, <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to throw that one out there. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, just in case you didn't know. I've noticed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so they're almost um, looking at it from a player's perspective, and you're looking at it as a judgment against a rule book. Yeah, and, and so for them transitioning isn't really as natural as people would imagine. No, it's not. No, you know, even though I played amateur, I, the first thing I did as a referee, it worked. So I, I was right. really I was a referee in More players' so. clothes. That that's yeah. it. Were were players now transitioning from being a professional player that to a professional referee? They're still referees, you know. Uh, sorry, they're still players right. in a referee's kit rather yeah. than the other way around. And, uh, and and I think that's why some have really struggled. Jamie Bloom, you know, he took up refereeing and, and, and he was getting somewhere, but you could always see that he was a player. You yeah. know, Chris Campbell, you know, Dave Campbell's son. You know, yeah. Chris was a decent player, became a referee. And it, it was just that, just a little bit on the, the slow side of, of translating that decision into, yeah. because you blow the whistle, everybody looks at you. So you blow up, what's that for? It's for offside. You know, so yeah. everything was so natural for referees and, and that's what the best referees, bang, like the best players, they just have that decision immediately. Yeah. Don't have to think about it because they know it's in the DNA. They can see it before it even happens on a lot of their best refs. That's something I've never thought about before. I mean, we, we talk about it with coaches that not all good players make good coaches. 
because they don't, they're not a natural coach, not a natural leader. They may be great players. I'd never thought that was something similar with referees. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a good, it's a good insight. Really that, good input, yeah. That I'd never thought of before. So you, you've got Sean Edwards and Martin Fire, and you've just started out. You're looking at these heroes. Is, do you feel yeah. a bit of extra pressure for those big uh, names? Yeah, yeah. I remember refereeing Alan Langer. Um, Bradford played at Valley Parade for a while. I think I don't know whether. Uh, Oddsall was being done up, but they played at Bradford yes, City's ground. Yeah. Uh, and it was early, very early 2000s, and I, I remember refereeing Alan Langer when he played at Warrington against Bradford. And uh, I just didn't pull him for offside. He was still in front of me <laughs> the whole game. <laughs> and the assessor had to give me a right bollocking. Because yeah. he said, Why? I, I, I can't. Alan Langer. I can't. You, you just yeah. can't. You can't be like Alan Langer. He's too good and, to and be there was, like, once I realised that actually I was a better referee than he is. Yeah. Uh, and I had the right to be on that pitch. And, yeah. And, and then you've got to, you know, look, be, I'm a fan of rugby league as well. So yeah. a lot of them, the people that I was refereeing were, were literally my heroes, <laughs> Yeah, you know? So, so you've got to take that hero worship away from it and realize that when they're on that field, you've got a job to do. Uh, so it quickly got stamped out of me. And the next time I referee Warrington, he, he I pinged him about three or four times. It felt so good. I said, that's, that's two from this game. That's two from the game before. <laughs> you were offside a month ago. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you didn't get back in 1999. I only just kicked off. I just kicked the ball. Yeah, what, what a legend he was, Alan Langer. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Very lucky. And another one who, who played at. Uh, Catalan Stacey Jones. Yeah, yeah. It, it was just, it was just awesome to be on the pitch and, and listen to him and see him. And you know, the referees got the best, best seat in the house. Yeah. Best view, best view. Yeah, and it's just wonderful to hear them hits and to listen to it and and the, you know, the the banter in inverted commas between the players. But just see the the absolute unbelievable skill set that that they have. The tackle tech. Uh, it's just phenomenal, absolutely unbelievable, and it was a pleasure, an honour, and a privilege to be on that field with them. What about big hits? And you've spoke about some of those guile mm. players, those talented players who can see things. What about the big hits that yeah, go on? And yeah. when you're close to them, do they hurt when you're watching them? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can you can hear it, you can feel it, you know. And and I love the shoulder charge. I was gutted when they dropped it. I understand why. You know, it was what they should have done was just ban shoulder charges to the head not shoulder yeah. charges per se yeah. yeah because it was shoulder charges to the head that's a problem you know not yeah. literally rotating and, and leading with your shoulder uh, so what they should have done was just give so much longer and harsher bans for the legal ones and allow the you know we all remember uh, um, sam burgess when he he hit fooey fooey moi moi oh. in mm, a, in yeah. the england new zealand yeah. test match where they both running at 30 mile an hour and he turned and he yeah. knocked him into next week. Still a teenager, and, and it, it, Absolutely. And it was just an incredible tackle. And it, it, even now, it, I can feel the ears on the back of my neck stood up. Why would we want to ban that? But then not everybody did it. Like Sam Burgess, you get some who'd lead. Direct Lazy contact. Yeah. They'd break a jaw, they'd break a cheekbone, yeah. and the concussion, and, and now with all the, the head protocols. I understand why they got rid of it, but they should have just got rid of it you know, like yeah. the send-off yeah. um, <coughs> in the Leeds uh, St. Helens Challenge Cup game. We were speaking about that this morning. You know, morning. It, it's late, but a late tackle is not necessarily a send-off. It's late, and it's the high shoulder contact direct to the head of a defenseless player that is the send-off. Yeah. You know, if he didn't, if he'd have just hit him late 
round the waist, around the chest. It's just a penalty. Yeah. There's no... We, we've discussed this before. There's probably no two tackles exactly the same. So when we're looking for consistency from referees and from disciplinary panels, it's quite difficult because people will try to compare. I often think, well, we're not entirely sure. You've got to make a judgment on the intent, on the force, on how high it was, on how late it was. It can be just slightly late, a bit of mistiming, or it can be a few seconds and you know that there was intent there because it, no way it could be that late. So how you want to get one shot at that when you're on the on the field, don't you? How do you try to make the right judgment? Uh, just through 10,000 hours of practice, you know, seeing the same thing week in, week out, looking at the key indicators, you know. And when you talk about consistency, you know, I don't know whether you... You read my Twitter feed yesterday, no. but people were saying about the send-off in the St. Helens Leeds game. You know, well, what about the cannonball the week before from, uh, I can't remember the player. Yeah, yeah but you, you're comparing apples and oranges. Yeah. You know, you've just hit the nail on the head. No two tackles are the same, no. but a lot of them have the same key indicators. So you look at them indicators, you quickly process in your brain, is it curless? In the, that way, it's probably just a penalty. Is it reckless? Reckless. With, with direct contact and with force can be a yellow or a red card or is it deliberate? Deliberate with force and d a direct contact is a red card. So you quickly analyse that bang, 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 bang and then you either pull your red card out or you pull your yellow card out or you wait for the video ref to give you input oh. which when I refereed, the, even though I had video refs the video ref could not give me input on foul play which ended up finishing my career but that's another story <laughs> <laughs> so that is a couple of seconds decision and that's a heavy decision because that can change the impact of a game you know especially uh, certainly for one team a, a disadvantage you know if a player's gone for good on, on, on a red um so that that's again we go, we go back to pressure that's a lot of pressure as, as a referee to quickly in seconds analyze all that and make your decision stand by it and and go well i think one of your questions is your most memorable game uh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and and you know I, I, we, we we were talking about the ben flower it on lance higher uh but that's not more, my most memorable game as a referee my most memorable game as a referee was my last one and that just ties in with uh this foul play not i had a video ref it was hull versus Leeds in september 2010. you want to get the footage the footage is uh, on youtube and Nine minutes into this game, Lee Radford stands up at the tackle and banjos uh, Ryan Bailey. Yep. Stands up, cuffs him, blood pouring down his face. So it was a little bit of a melee. Uh, even though I had a video ref, the video ref then couldn't give me any input on foul play. So I get my touch judges on. I said, right, I've seen Lee Radford. Punch Ryan Bailey, be anything to add no. So I send sends him off. So I'm given a penalty signal. And they're showing a replay on the big screen. And what it showed was Ryan Bailey, the bugger, just before Lee had stood up and punched him. He'd elbowed him on the f in the face on the floor. But I've got several it. players in my line of sight. So you just <clears> didn't see that. it. Yeah. Didn't see it. Just an absolute genuine mistake. There was a really big crowd because it ended the season game. And uh, so they now show the whole replay on the big screen. So can you imagine what 15,000 Hull fans are now saying at the rest of the game? Minute? So 71 minutes. And yeah. Leeds scored two late tries and won the game. So... Uh, as the final whistle goes, my God, the level of abuse. And the, and it was a police game, and the police could not guarantee me safe passage to my car. Really? really? You talk about loneliness, you talk about yeah. vulnerability, you talk about the emotional state of a referee. They had to bring my car into the stadium. I had to send, give a policeman my car key, brought it into the stadium, and, and they had to take me through an internal corridor to get me safely away from the stadium. 
this is what we're talking about. This is sport. Yeah. This is not life or death. And, and you can't yeah. guarantee <clears throat> the referee safe passage to his car. I never, I've never picked a whistle to this day. Was, was that your decision then, Ian, um, from that point? The, the, the moon's aligned, if you like. Okay. I, I, I just didn't deal with that level of abuse. Mm. Um, and it, Stuart Cummins at the time offered me a way out to become a, a, a coach of the the full-time and the championship refs. Yeah. Um, so it, it was like, say, all the all the moons aligned. You know, if if, if that decision happened, happened to have happened, I don't think he'd have asked me, and I don't think, well, I know now I want to finish them. Yeah, but because I didn't on. finish on my own terms, that is, you know, I've still got a knot the size of a fist in my stomach oh, because yeah. of that. Yeah, Unfinished yeah. business, is that unfinished, how it Unfinished, uh, and, and I'll never, ever get that back. Right, uh, and sometimes you know you talk about that that try that you scored at Sheddings all yeah, the years ago that was disallowed. Yeah. You know, it's I'll never get that opportunity back, and it's sometimes it's that that anger and frustration. But that's what life's about. But like you say, you didn't have the beauty at that time. We didn't have, um, you know, in that moment, you've got players in front of you. You've seen what you've seen. Now they have the assistance of the video ref who can call and say mm. what had gone on. In that moment, when you look up at that screen, what went? What did you think then? I'm not allowed to swear, am I? <laughs> you can. Yeah. Uh, I thought shit. Yeah. I thought yeah. shit. I've got seventy-one minutes, and Don't I miss. knew I'd made a mistake. Right. Uh, and I knew I'd made, you know, Lee Raff for a bloody good second rower. Yeah. And uh, did he? Did he contest? Did he say? Yeah. To he you? said, "What about the elbow?" Right. He just said that. Well, I didn't see an elbow. I just saw uh, you. And punch. I just said, "No, off you go." Got my red card out. Off you go. And then it's only when I, I cop the, the replay that you think he was right. Yeah. Did any of the whole players come and speak to you about it after the sending off and say, "What what were you playing at?" It's um, took an elbow. No, not really, because it was it was all a bit it was all a bit chaotic. Manic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I, I remember watching it and listening to the commentary. And I lived next door to Barry McDermott for for quite a few years when I, even when I refed him because yeah. uh, Barry's an older lad like I and and I've just got so much admiration and respect for Barry McDermott. Uh, but when I'm watching it, Barry said, oh, "I hope he's not going to send him off. I hope the referee is not going to spoil this game." And I, I remember them words. Well, hang on a minute. It wasn't it wasn't me that decided to stand up and punch Whack somebody. somebody yeah. And, yeah, and cut their eye. It wasn't me that decided to take the law into his own hands. He would. He would have always been sent off. Retaliation. The, the the retaliation was disproportionate from what the for what the original yeah, the offense, offense was. Yeah. So so Lee Radford would have always have been sent off. The thing is, I never did anything with Ryan Bailey because I didn't see it. Um what I should have done was ten minutes for Ryan. Ten minutes. That, yeah. That's all it was worth. In them days, yeah. it was a, an elbow to his face. It, it, it was ten minutes. Yeah. The result could have been the same, it might not have been. We don't know. Um but unfortunately if you're a Hull, if you're both Hull FC fans and and you 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 yeah, your DNA well. is Hull FC, yeah. then the villain of this piece is Ian Smith. Mm. And you know something? I'm going to tell him. Yeah, yeah you yeah. feel and victimized. I, Those fans felt victimized yeah. as a team. You've sent our guy off, but you let them get away with an elbow. Yeah, and that's how they're feeling. Yeah. At that and moment you know what I'm going time. to do? I'm going to stand outside the players and officials entrance, and when he comes out, I'll he's him. having it. <laughs> I'll tell him. Yeah, uh, and there were that many. The police said we cannot guarantee you safe passage to your car now you're a human being this is, you know what I mean? this you're doing a job yeah. it's a sport yeah, yeah. but it, why, it, why did they ever say why they couldn't ensure safe because passage? because there was a few stewards there were a few police 
because the way that Hull uh, Leeds had won the game, the stewards and police were trying to keep the the, 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 the other fathers. They tried <laughs> to literally keep the bees. They were so they Tons just massed right you know, you're only and, 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 and I don't. I'm sure you've been to the KC. The car park's massive, and where they put the match officials. It's a bloody good walk. Is it? You know, it's not yeah. like I opened the, the uh, players and walk, walk, walk in the mile. Walk in the mile. <laughs> yeah, it's not like you just opened the players and officials entrance door and be cars there, you know. Yeah. Not so the, the Queen. So, so there's it, no red carpet back to your car? No, no, no unfortunately no, thought, not. Uh, no, there they, they could have been, but it had been my blood. <laughs> but there was no confetti cannons, just cannons. Yeah. <laughs> just cannons. So, uh, so, so that's... Sorry, Keith. Uh, that, that's one of the games that you remember. That, that's, last one. My, that's my most memorable game for, for unfortunately, for all the, the, wrong the reasons. all the wrong reasons. There must be other games that you really remember. Hopefully, for more positive <laughs> reasons. Can you talk us through any of those? Uh, um, look, I, I've been very lucky to have, have refereed at elite level of a sport that I loved, and it's it's offered me uh, opportunity to travel the world. You know, I've refereed in the Luznicki Stadium in Moscow. Wow. You know where Alan Wells won his gold medal back in the in the eighties. You know that yeah. was tremendous to go to go to Russia for a week. I, I refereed. There was a four uh, nations tournament. There's there's the Bala, the English amateur team against America, France, and Russia. You know, and it was tremendous. You yeah. know, I, I refereed uh, America versus France. It was wonderful, wonderful to be in that. See, you know, believe it or not, I've refereed in Lebanon. Lebanon versus France. And Azim Al Masri was the Lebanon captain. You know, they play for Gantry yeah. Bulldogs, and uh, still, I think he's a record goal point scorer in the NRL. And he was a captain. Now, in 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 Lebanon, you've got Beirut, that's the capital. Then you've also got Tripoli, which is you know people think Tripoli is in Libya. It's not. It is, but it's also the second city in Lebanon. So it's about eighty kilometers north. So that's where the game was. It was oh, it was packed. It was absolutely packed. Yeah. You know, so you know, I've I've been to uh, Beirut for a week and it was a wonderful opportunity honestly it was an absolutely incredible weekend they treated me like a king it was wonderful the people were so friendly and uh, it was just a, a great and it was a wonderful atmosphere and and yeah Lebanon beat France it was a great game and I loved it been to South Africa twice I've been to Australia New Zealand some of the places that I've been around the world because of this fantastic sport so it's it just afforded me so many wonderful opportunities. And if anybody wants to get into refereeing, I know I've spoke about the negativity, but it's not. It's still a wonderful career that I will really, you know, ask anybody to do if they, if they want to. Well, hopefully some of those stories that you've shared and those positive things, the travel will help inspire more young referees to join our great sport, hopefully. Hopefully. We'll, we'll keep trying <laughs> to promote that. You, you were also the video ref in 2013. That's quite a memorable grand final yeah, yeah. Um, in the early stages, certainly. It was a great game, but talk us through some of those early stages. Yeah, uh, we can say it's the, the legendary Ben Flower Lancer Hire send-off. Uh, can I just do the prelude to it in the changing yeah. rooms? Yeah. yeah. The, the, talk the, us through that. The, the, our video ref, Phil Bentham, was the referee, and Old Trafford grand final day... Uh, the the ref changing rooms, not that massive, um, and there's a lot of officials, a lot of the anger honourers is the wrong word, but you've got the camera people, the sound, so I just got myself out of the way because I didn't need to change because all I needed was my suit which I already had, so I went up up and down the changing room just because I was in awe of being at Old Trafford in a grand final, you yeah. know, and, and, and nervous as well because a video ref has a huge, still a big part, still yeah. a still a yeah. huge part. I remember outside the Wigan changing room and Sean Wayne was absolutely... Because he, he wears his 
heartily sleeved, didn't <laughs> yeah. it? You know, and yeah. he was bawling and shouting about, you know, let's get stuck into him. Ben Flower, you're the hardest man in there. And, I, and even me, I could feel the <laughs> adrenaline surging. Pumping. Well, obviously, he, you know, Ben, unfortunately, 40 seconds into that game, must have took it uh, literally. <laughs> must have took it literally when he, you know, he, he tried to prove uh, that he was the hardest man. And, and uh, I just think, you know the chimp paradox, the mist, whatever you want to call it, it had just descended and and he he lost it. And I know as video ref, you have a lot of different cameras in in the 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 booth that we have, and they have cameras in the changing room. And literally after the mist had gone and the chimp had gone back in its box, whatever you want to say, it Ben's literally got his hands in his head in the changing room once he realised the, the magnitude happened? of what he'd done. And and ref, rugby league is an incredibly aggressive sport like boxing is, like all these things, but you have laws. You can be aggressive without being illegal. Yeah. You yeah. know, you can you can challenge, you can beat people up without doing it illegally. Yeah. You can be aggressive without being illegally. And unfortunately, Ben, quite, you know, and we used to have calls at the time. The, the video ref couldn't say, that's a send-off. We used to have calls. It's serious. So I wasn't <laughs> sure whether Bill Bentham had seen it. And I'm saying, Phil, are you listening to me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's serious. He said, uh, yeah, I think it is. I said, no, I'm not just saying it's serious. It doesn't get any more serious. It's as serious as it's going to be. You know, it's really, just, really serious. It's really, really, really serious. He said, I've seen it in. Don't worry. I know what I'm doing. I said, right, thank God for that. So you know, the one thing I didn't want to do was put it on report. I'd say, get a yellow card out, you know. Yeah. Uh, now you can just say, look, as a video ref, um, I think it's a red card. The so referee. Say. Yeah, yeah, they can, yeah. You just say, I've seen the replays, it's direct contact to the head, it's a red card. The referee ultimately said, I'm not seeing it like that, and, and do whatever, but the the video ref will give input. And then on, at review on a Monday, the ref, the video ref, the ref's coach will get together and they'll listen to the audio and see that and say, why did you say that to send off when it, it's only a yellow card? Right. You know, or why did you only use a yellow card when the video ref clearly saw replays and decided it was a red? And that's the dialogue that so you've got that, a debate, and you can discuss it debate. and come up with a you know, hopefully a better way. And as as much as they want to be consistent, you hit the nail on the head of 10, 15 minutes ago. Not all two, no two tackles are the same. No two foul play are the same. You know, there are indicators, and there are there are tariffs, and there are things that are definitely red card, are definitely yellow card, are definitely play on, and it's up to the referees and the coaches and the video ref to come up with that right call, and then let the match review panel do what they do. So try and come up with those key indicators at that time. Absolutely. Process that based on your experience Process and, and, make that, and make that judgment. Um, but that was a quite an iconic sort of start to any match, certainly a grand final. So I think most people will have seen it. But what's your experience? You've sat there very early in the game, you're sitting down, uh, just about to be a video referee for a big match. Right, I'll settle in here. It'll be a while until I've got a judgment. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, you, you take know. your time, Phil. We're all right. Yeah. Just You've give just me got... a video ref just before half time. You've just made a cuppa. Make it an easy one. <laughs> yeah. Got yeah. your feet up. Yeah. And before you know it, within seconds, yeah. there's been something's happened. What's going through your mind? Talk us through the incident, first of uh, all. Well, you. you... You, I originally you only really saw the the king hit that knocked him down, and then the king hit when he was on the ground. You didn't really see the prelude to it. Now, as the kick went into the corner, Ben's turn, Ben Flowers turned around and he's actually excuse me cuffed Lancer High around the head. So Lancer Higher thought, "Hang on a minute, you're not doing that to me." So yeah. he's punched him, yeah. and then Ben Flowers gone back. So as a video ref, I see all that, 
and you know we talked about heart rate 155 i think my <laughs> you know as a video rep my heart rate will be oh, it be up a little bit but all of a sudden it goes through the roof yeah. but then i think what you don't like is the dubious ones this was not dubious no it's clear all of a sudden when you saw it my heart rate could come back down because once yeah. i knew that phil was sending him off it was like we're not going to be questioning. I can, I can sit back and have another coffee because it was so clearly an easy decision. Yeah. It's the ones where you think, oh, you know what? Is this a yellow or is this a red? Because mm. I've got, mm. you know, I, I remember it. Once it took me uh, five minutes, 10 seconds to come up with a, a video call in a playoff game and I got absolutely pilloried. <laughs> Pillar <laughs> taking to so pull. long. Taking so long. But it was one of them where it was a crossfield kick, so you had to do onside, offside. There was a challenge in mid-air. Then there was a knockback. Then there was a possible push. There was so many... So many moving parts oh, to it. Oh, so many moving parts to it. And I had to knock each, tick each one off, and I wasn't sure. And then the the producer said, I've got another angle here. And you think, oh, I don't want another angle. You know, <laughs> and then you get another angle, which might... might have to look again. Oh. I'm not was, sure now. I've seen that angle. Well, I thought on you. Five minutes, yeah. And five minutes, 10 seconds, you know. And from that, we actually changed the protocols because they, they had to light and say, right, we have not got anything better because there were times where... God bless them. Uh, Sky would hold a re replay back, and then you give a decision, and then they show the replay, and you think, "Hang on a minute, you oh. never, you never give me. If, if you'd have given me that at the time, you know." <laughs> so, so, so we said, you know, we used to have a thing with. Have you got any other replays? No, that's all we've got. Right, I will now make make my decision. So, uh, you know, things evolve. Right. At the time, your stress levels are so through the roof, but now. We can have a laugh about it because yeah. Yeah. It, it, time's passed and memories, you know. Yeah. So I just want to touch on as well, before we, we talk about your state of mind work and stuff like that, you, you mentioned earlier on, you have the best seats in the house for like banter between the players, the banter with yourself from the players. Mm -hmm. Is there any moments that stand out where you think, do you know what, that was that was a cracking little... Oh, do you know what, the worst thing that happened was when they mic'd us up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> pre-mics that they got on telly yeah you know yeah. you could have a little bit of you know industrial Banter. language yeah. you know but times there were times where players had come up to you and start swearing you go oh i'm on the mic and they go oh, sorry sorry you know <laughs> and even when i were on telly and you weren't on the mic you'd say oh i'm on the mic and they oh sorry <laughs> so, you, so you could kid them you know because yeah. even though you you might talk for a non-tv game that only just goes to your audio for when you review on a Monday. It doesn't yeah. go out to the masses. Yeah. Obviously, right. the Sky One does. So if you weren't on telly, you could still set a place. They were coming up to you, wanting to swear. You said, Ooh, hey, Mike, I'm on Mike. the mic. I'm on yeah. the you put your hand up. Calm I'm on the down mic. A bit. Oh, sorry. But no, I, I just think uh, I've seen been Barry McDermott uh, when he made three illegal tackles one after another when he played at Widnes. When, like when him and Terry O'Connor went there at the back end of his career, they kicked off against Lee. Lee run the ball out, Barry, I tackle, nothing malicious, penalty, keep him down, Baz, yeah, another one, I tackle, kick to touch, run it in, another I tackle, so I brought him out, brought Terry O'Connor out, who was captain at the time, I said, right, Tez, I said, we've only had two tackles, two, uh, you know, two I tackles from two, oh, tell him, calm it down, I might as well talk to you as captain rather than Barry, because obviously the mist is up there, you know, otherwise I might have to sit him down, yeah, no problem, went back 10 metres, kick to touch, went in, Barry, bang, I tackle again. Get me yellow card out. There you go, Baz. As he's passing me, tap me on the arse. He said, thanks for God for that. I'm not good. <laughs> Can you make we, it 20? Yeah, we've done, we do, we done three tackles, three. You know, bang, gone. So I, I, was... I remember, actually, I probably shouldn't say, say this, but as an amateur, I played against Barry. I played against Terry as well. And we're in a game, 
and uh, my coach, he inflated my chimp. He went, Barry McDermott, he's he's causing all the play. He's causing us mayhem. He needs to, he needs taking out. What he meant was close him down. Don't give him the space. Uh-huh. Be up in his face. I just heard he needs taking out. <laughs> so uh-huh. Barry comes steaming in. I come in with an arm, flattened Barry, and he was he was. Uh, Surprise! Intimidating. <laughs> Barry was intimidating as, as a young right. lad at fifteen. He was still quite yeah, a big but, player. Yeah. Anyway, he's on the floor, and and the the, the refs like going around. Who, who did that? the ref didn't see it? Looking, who, who did that? Who did that? And I'm stood at the side of the ref, going, I don't know, I don't know. And Barry started to get up and looked at me, and I went, "It was me." <laughs> <laughs> you got like that. So off. Off to someone yeah. else. Yeah. I was like, "Thanks." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were either very brave or very stupid, yeah. <laughs> or a bit of both. It was all going through. It was all going through at the time. I played against him as well, and the first time I came across him, I didn't know his name, um, but I played at Saints eighteen just as a trialist, and we played against. I think it was sort of Lancashire under twenty ones or something like that. They played some of the reserve sides as a prep for. Um, getting into the amateur Great Britain team or something like that. So we, I played second row. And I remember this guy sort of running in, and he's really stood up. And being quite tall, I used to like that because I could get my angle right with me tackling. I thought, oh, he's running at an angle here that's making it easy for me. I can just tip my shoulder as normal as my tackling style, and I'll topple him. The next thing I remember is playing the ball over me and smiling in my face. If you watch him back, he often smiles, doesn't he, after he smashes him. He has yeah. that like, grin on his face as if to say, I've done you. Yeah. And I'd, I must be knocked out for just a split second, thinking, what on earth has just hit me? I thought I was good at tackling, and this, this guy's just absolutely, the power was unbelievable. And when we went back to the change rooms afterwards, it's before they moved, it was at Nosy Road when they used to use the uh, yeah, original yeah, yeah. tunnel. It was just small changing rooms, weren't they? And I went to the team sheet. They used to have a team sheet. Barry McDermott, I thought, I'll remember that name. Because <laughs> <laughs> he hit me so hard. And it was, then, was a hard player. Oh, and I played with him again when we went to Oldham because he was a young lad then. He was playing in the reserves. But he was in the first team in the reserves. And it was great lining up with him because he knew, wow, if we got Barry in the team, everyone else was more confident because he was so physical. But there was another edge to that as well because he thought, but, but he's going to create mayhem and not field that we're all going to have to deal with not just badly yeah the fine line between shoulder and neck and head yeah and he he didn't always know which side he was going on but but he was a brilliant player brilliant and such a nice guy off the field such a pleasant absolute gentleman like say i you know i I lived next door to him for a while and and him and his family they're wonderful and i think even though we have to make the game safer because of the concussion and the head knocks and, and what that can lead to you, you miss that biff. Yeah. You know, you miss that Barry Mike Stuart Field and, yeah. you know, gauntlets down and, and having a good old, you know. And, and, want an edge. There yeah, needs to be and, a bit of an edge to and, it. And it, I've never refereed in this sanitised game. You know, every time I refereed, there was always some form of fighting. Sometimes that was because I caused it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I refereed Wigan Saints when uh, Terry Newton, God bless him, broke Sean Long's jaw. And it was that long after... Uh, the pass had gone. I think I'd given the try in the corner, and all of a sudden the crowd went up. It was. I think my uncle Sid was actually trying to climb over the boys' pen to get to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it don't. It don't surprise me, and and it it taught me quite a valuable lesson is that just because somebody stood over a body, if you don't see him actually fire the gun, you yeah. know, you can yeah. you yeah. can still assume. <laughs> yeah, you know. So yeah. Uh, yeah. after that, bless him. You know, I I me and me and Terry had a bit of a love hate relationship, but that can't, might might bring us onto state of mind sport because it was unfortunately off the back of 
tourist tragic right. suicide that the charity that I now work for started. Mm-hmm. There was nothing in place for rugby league. You know, all these hard macho alpha male who, if you if you show weakness, emotional, if you show weakness on the field, you get targeted, don't you? In, yeah. In, in, yeah. Any, in any aggressive sport like that, if you show weakness, so you take that persona into your personal life, and when instead of putting your hand up and saying, I'm really struggling here, I need some help, don't. Mm-hmm. And you put all these masks up and, and wait, you know, and, and unfortunately nobody recognised Terry was waving a white flag when he got his two-year ban for taking human growth hormone. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's, it was a tragedy. But what it did was it gave Rugby League a, a kick start to think, hang on a minute, we've got to get some of our routes in order. And, um, you know, two, two guys from the NHS who were the founders, Malcolm Ray and Phil Cooper, you know, big, big supporters of Rugby League and mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, they started State of Mind Sport and right. it's... And I've been with them four years. You know, that was t- September 2010, that. So, so the, the ethos of State of Mind, then, is about p- players' welfare, sport welfare? It, it started off about emotional welfare. It started off about mental fitness and, and trying to break down the stigma that, um, you know, men in particular have to be this alpha male. They have to be this everything to everybody. And you're not allowed to cry. You're not allowed to show weaknesses. You're not allowed to be vulnerable. And you have to be literally the man of the house and all what that, that entails. Um, and we started off in rugby league, and now God, they're in, they're in a sector we donate schools, colleges, universities, prisons, blue light services. Um, but it's not just about alpha males. You know, we go into we went into Google before lockdown. You know, we're going to very mixed audiences. Uh, but because it's it's a power of sport. The sport is a really good hook to get men listening about mental health and yeah. mental fitness. So it's a good hook. And, and because there's me and Jimmy Kitchens work together, there's there's uh, Phil Vivas and Dan Sculthorpe who are brilliant who work together. There's Ian Knock, George Riley, and we have uh, Joe Phillips, who's a, a, a female player, ex-player. And we try to normalise mental fitness. Mm-hmm. You know, we try, rather than come up with clinical uh things we we just normalize it that you know something at times life is a roller coaster emotionally and there'll be times when you're feeling low and flat and vulnerable and if you talk about it you have the right people the right structure the right disciplines around you it's amazing how you can get out of that roller coaster but the first thing to do is to put your hand up and recognize that at times like with our physical fitness there's times we will be physically ill and there'll be times when we're emotionally ill and when we're physically you know if i break my leg i need it potted pretty potty plated screwed and pinning maybe yeah. to get back to physical fitness but what do i do if i if like lockdown you know yeah. i'm i haven't actually been out to work since 12th of march last year you know everything's been done via zoom i have to say i'm surprised how well it's it's done but i'm still <coughs> in my four walls in my house every day yeah yeah you know because uh, zoom fatigue is a thing god absolutely and there's another word now called fogo the fear of going out getting back to some normality getting back into the, into the workforce and but it, we can reduce anxiety levels by by hand sanitizing by wearing masks by doing everything we can by i've had a jab you know yeah. just uh, doing everything we can to reduce the the uncertainty of the outcomes and if we do that our mental fitness will improve yeah. you know we try not to use mental health we use mental fitness because we all have mental fitness like we all have physical fitness. And and I love working for this charity. You know, Jimmy Gittins, he's my, he's my hero. He broke his neck playing rugby league 18 years ago for Charleston. Right. And uh, broke his C3, C4. 
uh, in his neck. One was coming out of his back of his neck, one had gone to his... And, he's, oh and, and he was paralysed from the neck down from making that tackle 18 years ago. And he, he's now quadriplegic, he has a wheelchair. Oh my God, he's got a great sense of humour. Everything he does is with a smile on his face. And I work with him pretty much every day via Zoom. I don't see him much at the moment except via this two-by-one-inch yeah. box. on the t- <laughs> yeah. But he still gives me goosebumps. I listen to his story, how he fought back from being told he would never be able to sit up and have children and walk, and he's got kids and he's married. And, and don't get me wrong, it's not easy. He, you know, he, he can walk, walk on crutches, but he motivates me every single day, uh, and it's it's fantastic. So we genuinely, I don't want this to be a plug about State of Mind Sport, we genuinely believe we make a difference. Yeah. Uh, so where can people find more about State of Mind? Here? Yeah, go on on website stateofmindsport.org. Uh, we're on Twitter, we're on social media, we're on Instagram and all that lot. And uh, and just get on the. We're doing a forty-one twenty thing at the moment to coincide with uh, Mental Health Awareness Week in in May, because there's four, one person dies by suicide every forty seconds in the world, and hundred twenty is the hundred twenty minutes a rugby league or rugby union game lasts. So we're trying to get people to do 4120s. So there's a lot of people uh, cycling 120 miles in yeah. in 40 hours and or walking 40 miles and right. you know and uh, so all that is, is is on our website and charities. You know we obviously struggle for finance like like all charities have done yeah. these last 12 months. So if anybody can donate. Honestly, it'd be absolutely fantastic. So, yeah. thank you very much for allowing me to plug that. Oh, no, no, no problem. I'm, I'm a, I'm a great supporter and yeah. an advocate for, for that. You know, thank you. Definitely, yeah. And you mentioned there a, a bit of a technique. I think speaking about reducing the anxiety through um, trying to consider what the outcomes may be. Is that something you consciously mentioned, or, or yeah, is no, that something it, you work well, on as a state of mind? We all know what anxiety smells, looks like, feels like, tastes like, don't we? Because we've all had it in our various different guises. And, and it's different for you, you and, and, and me. You know, this is not one size fits all. And it's not about top trunks. But in the dictionary, uh, anxiety, the definition, if you go in the dictionary, worry, nervousness or unease about something with an uncertain outcome. Now, this last 12 months, if, if ever <laughs> that, that sentence epitomised uh, COVID over these last 12 months. So that's what anxiety... Uh, literally means so how do we reduce the uncertainty the outcome i've had my jab i wear a mask i unsanitize my hands i do everything i can to stay away from from people in close proximity as i can to reduce the uncertainty the outcome yeah uh, you know and and we can do that in every single walk of life you know get an, a right a good base around you get the right systems the right structures in place so so if you are feeling low and vulnerable uh, you have got something in place so the uncertainty of going even farther down that roller coaster you know you can stop it halfway down because i'm going to talk to you when i'm feeling really low because you've got some really good tips about how i can prove it you know get out walking mindfulness getting active yeah. you know gyms are opening from tomorrow i'm i'm in i'm golfing tomorrow and i'm in sorry i banked table again right. I'm, I'm golfing tomorrow i'm at the gym tuesday golfing wednesday so my physical fitness it's going to be great this week well that's that's going to make me head you know yeah. just thinking of it in a wedge into the first is making me smile Exciting, you know? yeah. except when i pull it into the bunker but that's another <laughs> thing you know but things like that we can all do things to help ourselves yeah you know whether that's around you, so with family, the right people, and it, it's great, and it's about embracing. And like I said, if, if I'd have known all this then, when I was a yeah. referee, 
Oh, man. Still, yeah. oh, still, Do you think you'd still be there now? Absolutely. I'd still be refing now. <laughs> I'd, I'd have done 28 grand finals, 64 Challenge Cup finals, <laughs> and 38 internationals, World Cup, you name it. Brilliant. Uh, and that's what we try to do. We work with referee societies uh, to hopefully get the referees on board, how important it is. And also how important it is not to listen to people via social media because they, they're generally abusing the uniform. But unfortunately, behind that uniform, there's somebody that laughs, cries, bleeds and screams. And I think it's really important that when people are abusing the match official, you know, it's not just the uniform. You know, they will go home and they will feel incredibly low and incredibly anxious. Well, hurt. Be- and hurt because possibly of your comments. Yeah. So so you're now getting to give the advice that you wish that you would had as a referee. Absolutely. And that support. Yeah. That's absolutely fantastic. It, it, it is. It is. And... and, and and maybe some of them things that we talked about, maybe that was the destiny to get to me to where I am now. Everything happens for a reason, Everything doesn't it? Everything happens for a reason, yeah, yeah. you know, and sometimes it, it's realising that when a door closes, you've got another opportunity to open another door yeah. rather than focus, you know, don't get me wrong, that whole Leeds game yeah. will always be there. <laughs> but it wasn't, it it wasn't a mistake, it was a lesson because you're yeah. using that now, yeah. aren't you? So. Yeah. See, at the time, you think it's a failure. Yeah. It's only a failure you never get up again. Now, at that time, I didn't get up and I laid down Having, having that as a failure for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And it's only these last two or three years that I've realised that every every process has an outcome and maybe that process then was for me to be at this junction and this outcome. Being, you know, emotionally the happiest I've ever been in my life, I'll be honest with you. Right. You know, life is, is, you know, even lockdown. You know, people say, oh, you've had it tough, you haven't been out to work for over a year. Tough. I live in a, a nice detached <laughs> house. I've got a 55-inch telly. I've got <laughs> more sport channels than I can switch. You know, I'm not going down the pit. This is not the Blitz, yeah. you know. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I know there's yeah. thousands of people suffer bereavements, you know, and I'm not trying to make that it's not. But, you know, all I can do is control my bit. You know, luckily, my me, me dad died a few years ago, but my mum's got through it well. She's got Alzheimer's, so she's had both the jabs. She's... She doesn't go out with me and my sister care for her. And, and, yeah. and so the people that I'm connected with are doing really well, and that's all I can control. Yeah. Oh, you mentioned some um, experiences there throughout this episode that you're now, I think, drawing experience from for your state of mind and the support you give to others. How does that then support the referees? Uh, again, I, I just think it's giving them a, a, somewhere that they can go. I know through Phil Cooper and State of Mind, we're trying to do a peer support type thing where, where they have somewhere they can phone up, but that's, you know, the amount of people that might not be easy to yeah. facilitate. Yeah. Uh, but just, just giving them their own self-aware, you know, so that if they are feeling low and vulnerable and anxious, what they can do about talking to the right people, about getting out and being active, about putting in perspective that they're not necessarily abusing you the person it's you the uniform and also yeah. they're coming from somewhere where they haven't got a clue what the rules are you know i i yesterday i was on so many discussions regarding uh incidents in the games and it was like and they were disagreeing and i said look I, i'm absolutely fine with you to dec- disagree you know i respect your opinion i disagree with your opinion because of x y and z but i respect yeah, it yeah, and i yeah. certainly ain't going to fall out with you no, no yeah because you have a difference of opinion on me yeah. You know, and they say, yeah, well, we'll take your opinion because of your experience. No, no, this is not the gospel of coins sent here. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I have had hundreds of games of experience, both video ref and refing. So maybe 
you know, the way I get to the process and outcome. An implied and, knowledge. You know, yeah, yeah the absolutely. The way you rationalise it, your yeah. perspective is different, therefore you may see it differently. But I'm, I'm still allowing you to have a different opinion yeah. without abusing yeah. you, yeah. you know, which is yeah. different, you know, rather than saying you're wrong because you're a whatever. But as we said before, I was right about grubber kicks, wasn't I? We, we agreed that, didn't we? Um, <laughs> well, come on, on that try, Dave. We should have, on that try, yeah. It was definitely a try. Uh, on that note, Ian, it's been an absolute privilege. I've, I've loved listening to you. I've loved getting the insight and, um, you know, rationalising some of things that I'd sort of preempted him from my childhood and things like that. Um, so thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Uh, best of luck with State of Mind and everything that you're doing. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And from me and Dave, just thanks very much. Thank oh, you very much. Really enjoy it. It's my pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. Excellent. Thank you. My name's Ian Smith, former Super League Rugby League referee, and you've just watched the Dockhouse Rugby Show. If you've liked what you've seen, please subscribe. Best wishes and keep watching.